You're listening to The One Room with a View Show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton. Hello and welcome to The One Room with a View Show. My name is Christopher Preston and joining me today is the last law in a world gone out of control. Pray that he's out there somewhere. It's Mr. Dan Orton. <laughs> mad Dan Orton. Mad. Mad, mad Dan. Mad Dan. You're mad. How are you doing? Oh, well, I'm crazy. I'm unstoppable. No, I'm very well, thank you. What a beautiful day. We're in the capital. The sun is shining. Yeah. The birds are out. We're inside. We're locked <laughs> in inside. In a stifling soundproof room. <laughs> yeah. The drapes are down. We're ready to record. So, um, talking of recording, Dan, mm-hmm. what's on the show today? Another marvellous segue. I'm You're full of quite it. a natural of these, aren't It's you? when the sun comes out for creativity. <laughs> You're full of it, <laughs> not full of them. <laughs> All right. <laughs> right, so, some film old, some film new this month, as your charming introduction may have hinted to, uh, we're looking at Mad Max and Mad Max Fury Road. Line up the cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> snort at <laughs> will. Snort at will and let's get going. Yes, Mad Max 1979, Mad Max Fury Road 2015. Uh, also, you're going to be talking about Jim Carrey later on. I am, yeah. Which I'm intrigued about. You just, yeah. said, you just sent me a message saying... I know we've got ten minutes to spare. I want to have a chat about Jim Carrey. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. I it's... thought he did, he died. Let's <laughs> talk. <laughs> I needed to watch Jim Carrey. I thought, oh my God, what's happened? No, to I was kind of doing like a follow up to. We need to talk about Kevin. It's now <laughs> the, the Adam Sandler produced. We need to talk about Jim Carrey. Well, the, the public. In fact, that's it. what we'll call the 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 the, the bit. So <laughs> stick around for we need to talk about Jim Carrey. Um, the shelf is also back. Thank God, we've the given shelf, it a good um, antibacterial wipe down. Yes, we've sh- uh, on the shelf already. We've got. Godfather Part two. 2 and Jurassic Park and American Beauty. I am going to be adding something Blimey. equally spectacular. A quadruplet for um, the shelf. And you don't know what it is yet. I have I, absolutely I, no idea. You won't be able to wait. Yeah, we've got Netflix agories as well, so stick around for that. Oh God, I forgot about that. <laughs> Perhaps we should crack on and see what happens. Some film old. Some film new. Thank you, Chris. No yes, some film old, some film new. Mad Max, 1979, George Miller's directorial debut, um, and indeed, I think Mel Gibson's sort of... He was 21, wasn't breakout he? Breakout role. Yeah. yeah. I think he's a fresh-faced 21-year-old. Yeah, devilishly that. handsome 21-year-old Mel Gibson. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I wish I looked like that when I was 21. Yeah, he's a, <laughs> he, there's a real ruggedness about him, and it kind of fits in with that... The whole um, like cosploitation, osploitation era that was going on there that yes. Mad Max kind of encapsulated. Not an Australian, well. of course, Mel Gibson. Really? Famously not Australian. I didn't know that. What is he then? <laughs> he's American. Is he? I thought he was an Aussie. No, he's not Australian. Oh, fair enough. I thought he was a famous Aussie. You sure? Should I'm we double sure. check that? No, you check your, your smartphone. He's not. He's definitely not Australian. Okay. Okay, we'll edit, we've edited this bit down, but I have now <laughs> tried to disprove that. But yes... He is, in yeah. fact, from New York. Yeah. That's complete... I can't believe it. Uh, urban myth. Yeah. What, Probably because what, of Mad Max. Mate, is it because of Mad Max? Because I always assumed he was, like, in your kind of Russell Crowe, Heath Ledger kind of camp, you know, No, no, they're they... Australian either. No, I'm kidding. I was going to say, are you, I was gonna say <laughs> my, my mind is just blown. No. Yeah, so, fair enough. Yeah. So, faux Aussie, Mel faux Gibson. Faux Aussie, Mel Gibson. Uh, but still handsome. Still handsome. Very handsome, man. And then, um, from this year... George Miller's fourth Mad Max film, Mad Max Fury Road, not starring a devilishly handsome no. Mel Gibson. Devilishly handsome Charlize Theron. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a terrifying Charlize Theron. Terrifying everything. And that's one of the things that I think that it's just a, the emotional response, I think, is really where we're going to be speaking a lot about Fury Road. Yes. Uh, but 
I think maybe only the emotional <laughs> response, a kind of cataclysmic emotional response from that film. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, so... Um, so two chapters from from Mad Max's biography of sorts. Yeah, so for those who don't know, aren't familiar with Mad Max, so the first one is it's set in the sort of... After Oz kind of, isn't it? Yes, yeah, so there's been some kind of energy crisis. Um, the world has fallen apart. Yeah. And we find ourselves in Australia, where small little communities have sort of been built up. And everything is kind of still running to some extent. It's fractured of sorts, isn't it? Yes, but it hasn't gone completely to shit. We're kind of in... We're definitely post-apocalypse, but it's like we're only ankle-deep at this point. Whereas I'd say we were closer to the neck, perhaps, in Fury Road. Well, yes. Drowning. (laughs) 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 And by the neck, Uh, I mean the Statue of Liberty's neck, not necessarily ours. Yes, quite. Yeah, uh, the Mad Max... It's weird because I think in all of the films, and Miller has come out and said when he was speaking at Comic-Con about this, is that all four of them, they're not necessarily in a chronological order. Okay. They are chapters of Mad Max's life. Yeah. Max Rokotansky's life. But they are, they're not necessarily interchangeable, but they're loosely chronological. So at one point there was even talk that Fury Road was set after Road Warrior and between the second and third okay. film, which isn't necessarily true. It's just yeah, that there is this I, kind I think of looseness about as it. A, I mean, the looseness is good, and I, and I don't think you even need to really worry too much about the chronological order. There, but the first one is undoubtedly the first one. The first one Everything doesn't, you know, when you, when you watch the first one after seeing Fury Road, as I did, mm. you you, you sort of think, well, this ain't so bad. <laughs> so had you watched Fury Road, then you went and watched the first film? Yeah, oh, and, okay, I, and I have not seen Mad Max at all before that. Okay. This is the first time I've ever seen Mad Max. Part of me wishes I hadn't done it that way around, because anything, in, everything pales into comparison. Yeah, and I don't uh, think you're just keeping it exclusive to Mad Max in that regard, are you? Anything. It's like any film. Um, I mean, what an experience what Fury Road is. Mm, and I'll tell you now, and I think that the more criticism is allowed to be shared amongst the masses, the more that social media encourages people to tweet about films, the more people that set up blogs, mm. the more you have this kind of hive uh, community of film criticism. And everyone thinks they're a critic now. Yes, everyone thinks yeah. because they've seen, you know, a Kurosawa film and Goodfellas that they, they've got this kind of... Yeah. Um, this prestige yeah, about yeah. them they, to they talk can about it. Do their own podcast. They can do their own <laughs> monthly podcast on, you know, brand new website. But what you always find is that people always tweet the word utterly when they're doing their little tweet views. Like, oh, this yeah, is utterly I'm whatever. guilty of that. People always do it. I've noticed that. And people always talk about films being as an experience. And I tell you now, I think Fury Road is one of the few films that I've come out of in the last kind of how long have we been doing these shows for? Oh, Five years, something like something that. Absurd. The last kind of, say, half a decade, where I've genuinely come out and said that was an experience. It wasn't mm. just a film. There, it attacked, I had to be dragged out of the seat, kind of carried out of it. Like it I, 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 was I came out rubbing sand out of my eyes. <laughs> exactly, yeah, just like <laughs> snotting it out, yeah. pulling it out of your ears. Smelling of engine oil. I, I don't think we're even going to try and tease out that well, I'm assuming that you loved it. I did. I, I mean, I, to fall on that—that's that—that awful cliche. I, it was utterly, yeah, utterly, utterly superb and insane. And bananas, completely bananas. <laughs> someone said to me, so, someone messaged me today saying, "Oh, I've just seen Mad Max. I definitely recommend it." I said, "Yeah, I've already seen it. I think it's the closest I'm ever going to come to, you know, <laughs> snorting psychedelic drugs, <laughs> going on an acid trip, yeah, and then dousing myself in lighter fluid whilst holding a lit match." I know. I was going to say, I think even Keith Richards would have walked out of that film blinking and just. <laughs> kind of hallucinate just hold, <laughs> hold me just hold me for a I mean, moment 
the, the level of detail that George and, and actually I should say now before I forget yeah. George Miller apparently put the storyboard together before he put the scripts together so he had something like 3,500 panels of storyboard art all already planned out I mean. before and which, which I bet, shows I bet, I bet that which, made his house look like something out of Shutter Island <laughs> People just walking around like, what's what's wrong with George? What's happened? <laughs> George, what's happened? George. 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 I see them in my dreams. <laughs> it is a it is a true work of art, mm. Fury Road. Well, I think I remember reading something, and I remember when the 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 crazy, the mad uh, trailers came out, and people were like, "Bloody hell, that looks intense!" And I remember one of the interviews saying. When George Miller was making this film, he was trying to create something that was a visual opera, storytelling in evocative images. Yes, and I would say that rather it, than exposition. One of the first things I thought when I came out of the film was very much this is you know this is akin to this is this is an opera set in a desert. It you is know, absolutely. You know that's that's the exact feeling you get from it. You buck you know you buckle up next to next to Charlize Theron and and, and Tom Hardy in that you know that, <laughs> that war truck or whatever mm. it is, and then you don't. You, you're not let out. No, you're smashed. You're smashed through the windscreen yeah. a few times, but you're <laughs> well, dragged back you're in. You're dragged back you? in by some sort of awful chain, yeah. <laughs> um, and 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 it doesn't let you go. It doesn't ever let up. That you know, it, it is. Uh, and Miller said uh, in in interviews that he wanted to make a one wanted to make one long continuous chase yeah. scene. Well, that's what he did. I mean, that's it. You got a two hour chase scene. That's just how kinetic this film is. Mm. They stop. They're actually on terra firma, like feet planted on the ground for about four minutes in a two-hour film. <laughs> Everything is constantly moving. I, watched, I was watching some of those moments and I was wondering how on earth did they film that? But also, how do you make a car chase interesting? How do you make a car chase? Like, well, after I present all to you Fury years, Road. Exactly. <laughs> that, that's, that's exhibit A, because how do you make a car chase interesting when it's one of the most tried mm. and tested and used tropes in cinema, yes. isn't it? And not only in cinema... But Mad Max, as we were speaking there, is part of this castportation yeah. boom in like the kind of late 70s. And it's such a shame. It's such a shame to then watch Mad Max from 79 mm. again afterwards and think, well, actually, yes, that would have been amazing in its day. But now, I mean, because I mean, I can't fault the editing and, and indeed the, the choreography of the car chases in, in Mad Max. Mm. But again, they feel almost silly and amateur next to what Miller has now managed to top. In, in Fury Road. They have become incredibly dated, haven't they? Mm. So the first film is, as we said before, undoubtedly the first chapter in this Rocker, uh, this Max Rokotansky saga of yes. sorts, this post-apocalyptic saga. So you've got Mad Max, and it's it's the most normal, I think, out of these that and the subsequent three films. There isn't as much, or, or maybe only shades of surrealism. The madness of... The first film is anger, is rage, mm. isn't it? And it kind of only begins to break. And, yes, and, and we're seeing, I think we're seeing Max's descent into uh, actual madness. Yeah. Right? So it, is a, it is an origin story, perhaps. Mm. Um, you know, he, he, not wanting to give anything away from the film, although, I mean, it's been 40 years. I was so. going to say. <laughs> um, but yeah, there are, there are events that happen in that film which basically leave him a shell of the man he was before. But he goes on his own out, apocalypse almost, and, doesn't and he? And set him out, yes, he has his own personal apocalypse an internal apocalypse, uh, and that's what sets him on on the path, or the, the road, if you will, yeah. um, to becoming this this sort of um, lone ranger, this this uh, this warrior. Yeah, the road warrior, as mm. it were. I think all of the previous films, in comparison to the just apoplectic fury of Fury Road, have become dated, and yeah, dare I say, they do look fairly amateurish. But there is this kind of wobbly gung ho about them. Like, you feel that even... 
in those initial ones, uh, from uh, even in the initial film from '79, there is a roll of a dice. Like mm. George Miller has got an imagination of him. Like a oh, brilliant. Well, I mean, there's nothing they, they compromised call, about. They these call films. him in, the, in in one of the trailers for Fury Road. They refer to him as the visionary George Miller, which is a fair little uh, title, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you're right. I mean, as I said earlier, it, it's, it was his debut, and I think f- as a directorial debut, what what a way to say, you know. <laughs> Hi everyone, I'm in the movies now. Yeah. He was a doctor before, do you know? He was, yeah. yeah. He, he actually had the idea from medical school, didn't he? Yeah. He was in medical school. I don't know what medical school does to people. <laughs> Jesus <Madness>. Christ. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Imagine that. Medical school has produced him and Harry Hill. It's like, what? I would have marketed it as from the director of Babe and ha- um, Happy Feet 2. <laughs> Can you imagine just the audience outcry? Like, has there been a more eclectic career than George Miller's? Honestly. Can you think of anything off the top of your head? I can't. Uh, I love the fact as well, what I, talking, going back to this, um, this idea of uh, the chronology of, of, Ma- of Max, I like the fact that the, all of these feel fairly episodic in nature. Like we're just constantly dipping in and out of Max's life. Mm. And one minute he's doing this, so like in the first film, he's part of that kind of, I suppose, like a justice gang of kinds. They're, they're the... The main force patrol? Something like that. They're, they're, they're what's left of the police force. But they are their own kind of biker gang in their own way. Like in a, a Judge Dredd yes. style, yeah, aren't yeah. they? Led by the wonderful, wonderfully named Fifi, who is this huge, bald, mustachioed sort of circus strongman of a character. Well, I was going to say, in the first film, the, that, that ragbag police force is quite interesting because you've got, you've got Max, played by... Crazy anti C Meyer Mel Gibson. You've got Goose, who I've never seen again. And the rest of them look like a, I, I've made a note here that it looks like Graham Linham, who wrote Father Ted and the IT crowd, Tom Hardy, ironically, version of Charles Bronson, and Louis Spence. That's what it looks like a governing post apocalyptic uh, Australia. It's so, easy to see why it all went downhill after. Yeah, it's, um, it's a peculiar set, but yeah. I do love these episodic nature, and I think that's yeah. why I'd, be, I'd love to see more of George Miller, even though he's like, what, 70, 71. I think there's still some. I still think there's some life some in the old dog. Yeah, in the old, yeah, <laughs> in the old engine. engine. Uh, I'd, I would love to see it because it doesn't feel franchisey. It didn't feel like, oh, I see, they're, they're setting up another trilogy here. Mm. It simply felt like another song in the album, if that makes sense. No, I think it's a lovely way of putting it. Yeah. Can we talk about Hugh Keys Burn briefly? We absolutely have to. Yeah, he is kind of who is um, maybe is maybe as batshit insane as George Miller. Well, I was going to say him and George Miller, I suppose, proved to be the main umbilical cord between this first film and the most recent yes. film. For, for anyone who hasn't sort of looked into it much, or you know, doesn't know Mad Max, uh, Hugh Keys Burn plays the villain Toe Cutter. Toe Cutter, in, yeah. In Mad Max in 1979, he's this sort of deranged. Uh, poetic, uh, yes, rather, but rather poetic, rather eloquent leader of a of a biker gang called yeah. the Acolytes, That's right. uh, who are the main sort of thorn in in Max's side throughout the film. And then, uh, you know, some forty years later, Hugh uh, Hugh uh, Keysburn is back as Immortan Joe. Not related. They're two very no, they're not very, separate very, di- very different characters. Not at all. You know, he hasn't become Immortan Joe over the years. No. He's playing a different character. And they did it before, actually, in Mad Max Two. And three with Bruce Spence, who yeah, played two, two different, completely different, two characters. different characters. Yeah, Toe Cutter, as we've said, very, very bizarre. And Morton Joe, entirely different beast. He, I mean, it, and beast being the <laughs> correct word there. <laughs> it looks like Peter Stringfellow has let himself go. <laughs> yeah. He does, actually. I'll give you that. But both spiritually and physically, he is the post apocalyptic Peter Stringfellow. Yes. 
<laughs> yeah. But yeah, but Immortan Joe, a wonderful villain. Mm, terrifying. Te- it was, again, terrifying. And uncomfortably terrifying. I think actually all of the villains, really throughout the whole of the, the Mad Max Odyssey, yeah. p- provides these wonderfully twisted... As I said, George Miller, he is a visionary, he is imaginative. But uh, I, I saw it with my friend last night, and he just said... I found even look at Morton Joe uncomfortable. He was like, that's how much he chilled me as a yes. character. Because to, I mean, to give a quick rundown of the plot briefly, which we haven't done for this film yet, mm. and there is a huge plot in Fury Road, which, which actually I think serves it well. Mm. But essentially, Mad Max comes, stumbles into this community people, mm. and Morton Joe is their leader. He has access, exclusive access to water. It's like a cult, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And, the, and, and they treat him as a god because he can provide them with water every now and then as, as and when it pleases them. Charlize Theron plays Furiosa, who's sort of like a, a lieutenant to, sorts, to a Morton yeah. Joe of sorts. Turns out she's liberating his harem of wives. He has a, he has a collection of five wives. That he's he, picked he, for breeding yeah, purposes. for breeding purposes. She gets them out and she's, she's smuggling them out of the community into this so, sort of... Um, the green the place. The green place beyond this desolate wasteland. Uh, and Mad Max kind of finds himself... Chucked coming in, Coming really. along for the ride, quite yeah. literally chucked in and, and joining them for the ride. And then it goes from there. Morton Joe obviously wants his wives back. And from, it's, yeah, he and, chases them across the salt kind of and, thing. But And, you know, just all hell breaks loose. It's a lot more of a folky... There's a folkiness, I think, to this in in Fury Road, perhaps more so than Mad Max. And they always kind of outline. There's always these kind of gravelly voice, tarmacky uh, voiceovers, aren't they? Yes, Mad yeah. Max films where they treat Max in this kind of reverence of legend. But I think this is the time where we are really, as I said, drowning in this apocalypse. In that there's like a, a skull chiseled into a cave, vomits water out upon these scrabbling masses. Mm. As far as the eye can see, there is scorched wasteland. People, everything looks grotesque. Yeah. But in a very beautiful way. That storm sequence, and you'll know it, listeners, from the trailer. I've never seen anything like it before in my life. The sandstorm sequence. Yes. I, I can't even think. Yeah. It was like it was like the electric daisy carnival shitting out a rainbow. That's the closest I can come to words. Like, I've never seen or experienced anything like it. And I know that we keep coming back to this cliche of being a cinematic experience, but I don't, I don't know how he did it. It doesn't look purely CGI. This is what I mean. A lot of it is very practical. And I sit there and I think, how on earth did you film some of this? Mm. I think um, like one chase sequence took 168 days. <sighs> and at, at Cannes, when Fury Road premiered at Cannes, after that first chase sequence, which culminates in this sandstorm chase, like the chase through the sandstorm, it just erupted into a standing ovation halfway mm. through the film and you know why like there is a, there is actually a very noticeable end as in you can almost see the applause like <laughs> yes it is all, it is divided up into wonderful little uh, acts isn't it yeah. which, which adds even more weight to this idea that it is we're watching some sort of elaborate opera unfold on on stage before us no, no fat lady singing though. Of course, perhaps thankfully. Post credit sequence. I think ah, that right. was that. Right. Oh, I didn't stick around for the post credit sequence. I, I love the idea, and I, I know that we kind of have. And Fast and Furious is even now showing how popular these car films can still be. Mm. But I like the fact that. Mad Max takes it even beyond that. It's not just about the cars and everything. And even the first film no. wasn't just about the cars. And I don't cars. think I'd ever describe Mad Max as a Fury Road as a car film Certainly in the same not. way that you would say 
Fast and Furious is a franchise of car film. I, I don't know what I'd categorise this as. I think the first Mad Max made this boom that even nearly 40 years later we're still feeling of the post-apocalyptic, our fascination with the world yes. ending. And I think it's because Mad Max provides us with such a believable end situation. Because as much as like the Hunger Games, for example, is very popular in, in like this teeny post-apocalyptic boom that we're also feeling, mm. I think with things that like I haven't seen in Surgeon, but I feel like it's a diet version of it. Mad Max gives you, the first film, gives you this vision of like, actually, do you know what? I can imagine this happening. If the world was to break down, we probably would become smaller communities. Petrol would become a scarce commodity. Yes. It probably would lead to these kind of vicious yeah, biker gangs, gangs yeah, that yeah, would, yeah. would go and tear people up. And like the violence that you see isn't so operatic. It's little vicious things like the rape scenes and things like that that, mm. that you see. And you see Max wading through this this kind of human scum and garbage and what they can do to each other. Yeah. There's a real feralness. You know what it made me want to do is... is read and watch again V for Vendetta that kind of looking at these different reactions to post-apocalyptic events sorry so apocalypse events and then looking at what happens after and the aftermath and I think yeah. that's where people kind of can get invested and certainly why they invest in the Max films and they do get progressively mad so I think Fury Road emulates philosophically and and I suppose approach wise is closest to the second film Road Warrior yes which before Fury Road was the best Mad Max film. I, I personally think Fury Road has just topped it just because of how psychedelic and, <laughs> and and mad. I know we keep using the word, but it's in the title. It's just such a mad and furious turn. And I love the idea of giving it new life with another central character because Fury Road really is Furiosa's just as much it is. Yes, almost definitely, yeah. It is nothing without Charlize Theron's Furiosa character. She's brilliant, like, absolutely brilliant. A real epic and I, I know that a lot of people are now, there's this weird, I don't know if you've seen this weird movement in, in the States where there's this group that are trying to boycott Mad Max Fury Road. Oh because, yes, there's these rather strange men's rights activists. Yeah, the acolytes, uh, I think they're going by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Led, by Led by the toe, toe cutter. cutter. Yeah, something like that. Um, <laughs> yes, these very bizarre people who, who, by the, who, on the strength of the trailer alone, haven't actually haven't seen the movie. No. And, uh, they admit that as well, yeah, quite freely. Quite, quite freely saying, well, we've seen the trailer, and quite frankly, yeah. I'm not having any of it. Yeah, I don't want um, to see Charlize Theron. Yeah, this, is, this isn't a Mad Max film. This it's is, an anti No, they, they are anti-feminist. They think yes, it's feminist they propaganda. Think it's feminist propaganda, which is... And if, if it is, sign me up. Yeah, sign me up. I mean, and I don't... I, number one, having watched it, I don't understand where that that really came from. Because a woman has a lead role in a Mad Max film. Possibly. I was going to say, like, gender, gender is so unimportant the only thing that i found really interesting was this patriarchy being broken but like in morton joe's patriarchy where he's like chosen these women but all of the brides and charlie Theron, they kick ass in this film they are like yes. they are a wonderful band of sisters yes and then you've got that kind and the of group of women this this from 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 the land of many mothers that's it um, somewhere it's like feminist tribe. Yeah, somewhere they're credited rather wonderfully as the uh, Volvolini, yeah, I believe. Something like that. They're um, great. And it's this bunch of sort of oxygenarian <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. biker women. Yeah, it's like what loose women will better be in post-apocalypse. <laughs> these Welsh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, all, I mean, the characters are all so wonderful. The fact that Furiosa is a woman is completely inconsequential. She's a she's a fantastic warrior, a brilliantly written character, and wonderfully realised by Charlize Theron and George Miller alike. Here, here. That's exactly. it. Yeah, that's as far, as much as I've got to say on the matter. And great turn from Tom Hardy as well as this kind of he, he manages to play these stoic mutes 
almost so brilliantly, doesn't yes. he? Yes, he reminded me very much of the character he plays in. Well, the, the titular Locke in, yeah. the, in the film Locke. That's a, that a uh, very silent construction manager, but so masculine at the same time. And I know that we're yeah. talking about, but they are very like rugged. Stoic is a very good way of putting it. The thing that I love about Max in all the all four films is he's such a bloke. Like as, <laughs> mu- as much as he is descending into this kind of horrible spiral of yes. madness and losing so much, he's just got this such weariness, like kind of practical blokishness. I mean, I, 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 I think I, 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 I'm envious of the guy because I think I'd be dead within two weeks of it. I would, ne- I would never have been able to affiliate with the gang because I think I'd have gone in the first wave. That, as as far as I know, I certainly um, wouldn't be dealing in any form of petrol or no. anything like that. You know those wonderful, you know those ridiculous games you see on Facebook and stuff. How long will you last after a yeah. zombie apocalypse? I, I, I think I a day, three hours. Maybe. I don't think I'd even get to the apocalyptic event. I think I, I think I'd <laughs> I think I'd go in like like a bus hit me just before it happened yeah. or something. I was like, what's happening? <laughs> Boom. But yeah, there's such a blokishness about him. Like, you know, he's so weary. He's so kind of hangdog. And he's, you can imagine him running across a war rig in this post-apocalyptic salt as much as you can imagine him with a pint at the end of the day. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. I, I don't know what's happening. You won't believe the day i You don't believe the day I've had. I think that lends us nicely into Bob ratings, Dan. Where are we going? Well, I, I, what are we going with first? Mad Max? Mad Max 1979. Yeah. What are you going to give? It? I'm going to give it three, Bob. Do you want me to explain why? Yeah, go on. So I'm going to give it three, Bob, purely because it's it's enjoyable and there is uh, mm. there's a real grit and hotspur about the film, if I may say so. There, you know, I do you love this. <laughs> I do love the ruggedness of uh, of of Mel Gibson's portrayal. The, I think all of the imagination and the ingredients of what makes their dare I say franchise, but more likely Odyssey, mm. what makes it great is all apparent in the beginning, but it's not a flower in bloom just yet. It's still getting there. And I don't think it really achieved the greatness that people would associate with Mad Max till the second film. And I think even though the third film is pretty uneven, there's some some good stuff in that as well. Yeah, I'm going to give it a three because it's good, but it's not quite great yet. I completely agree. I'm giving it a, I'm going to give it a high three as well. Three Bob. A three Bob. For those, yeah, I agree with everything you've just said. It felt like, it felt like a really good film Mm -hmm. and, and a wonderful sort of, Effort, first effort from from Miller and and Co. Yeah, you feel like you're watching the start of something that is going to be big. And and skip forward to 2015. Here we are, and it has culminated in this. Well, this is a explosion. Five, this explosion. This this five bob explosion of a film. Yeah, that's what I, you know. And that's what I'm going to have to give. Fury Road as well, five bob. And I was so worried because having seen this Bananas trailer that I was was so excited for and uh, then seeing just the sheer wealth of five-star reviews. Mm, Everyone's coming out and loving it. You can't Mm. help but feel the hype train goes and you're going to go in there and go, oh, I just don't, I don't get it. As I said to you, I was have to be, I I was peeled from the seat. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I will try and go and see this film again in the cinema because I think that really up on the big screen is where it's going to be at home. You're going to get everything. You're going to squeeze Till you till the pips got, uh, squeak, mm. but I yeah I just can't wait for people to see it. It's it's madness. <laughs> and now, which Chris said this back? So for this is now an unprecedented <laughs> third time. <laughs> saying, but it's here more than we are. <laughs> this has become we just can't our get enough of it. Randy Newman for the podcast days. You know, like we always <laughs> used to play yes. him. Or always used to try and play a Randy Newman song in the radio show. Yeah, so this game has become. I mean, we can't. This has swept the nation, Dan. People are talking about this <laughs> in the office, in, <laughs> everywhere, up and down. In Dave Breaks Flat. Yeah, they David can't. Cameron got in touch with me the other day. Really? About this game. Okay. One in the election. That, that's what won in the election. That's what won in the election. Yeah. Listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Just lost about 30 people listening there. 
So which Chris said this is our new regular monthly feature where I give Chris a quote, a quote from a famous Christopher. Um, I'm going to give you three Christophers that it, who could have said it. Yeah. Only one of them did. Chris has to has to guess to correctly. Decipher, yeah. At the moment, the scores stand one all. So this will be possible tiebreaker. Yeah. This is <coughs> going to be the event that leads to Fury Road, isn't it? <laughs> almost, <laughs> almost certainly. <laughs> Immortan Dan. <laughs> right, let's go. Okay. I think that a good movie creates its own world, and that world needn't refer to anything that's real. Your choices are Christopher Eccleston, Christopher Walken, or Christopher Nolan. And you've got Nolan, Eccleston. Right, I'm not going to say it's Eccleston. I'd be surprised if it was Eccleston, because... I don't know, he seems quite anti-Hollywood and quite anti-the-establishment and everything, and I just don't... I don't know if... He's this kind of like rough northerner, essentially, isn't he? Like I can't imagine. I'm not going to do it in a northern accent. No, I was going to say I just can't imagine him like with him leaving Doctor Who, and he seems quite sour about the whole Marvel experience. I can't imagine him being that poetic about different worlds. He seems to be a man ingrained in a form of reality, similar to Christopher Nolan, who does seem to even like his Batman mythology was based in this kind of ground, well, seemingly grounded realism. I know that the wheels kind of fell off that slightly as you go into the Dark Knight Rises territory, but Batman begins in the Dark Knight with a very practical, very real, and this sounds like a nice flowery, kind of poetic, otherworldly quotation. (laughs) Christopher Walken is bananas, and I think he lives on a different planet. And so, therefore, is my only <laughs> natural choice. And I don't know if you're bluffing there with him, because he's so uh, idiosyncratic. Chris Walken. That's your final answer. Final answer. Damn you. Is it too it's one? Walken. Yes. It's Walken. Thank you, I Mr. thought I would have had you. I thought, you would, I thought you'd go for Nolan. No, I knew it. I knew, uh, he's too practical, and he's too two of this world. Christopher Walken is so extraterrestrial <laughs> that it had to be him. He was the only natural uh, choice. I thought maybe it, uh, it sounded like some... So join us next month for, again, for another riveting Which Chris Said This. Dan, we need to talk about Jim Carrey. (laughs) This is obviously a new feature and one that I don't expect to run. One would probably run again. (laughs) Yeah, but uh, I I quite like the idea of perhaps recording these pleas to Hollywood giants. Perhaps some that need to be, have their their path corrected a little. And Jim Carrey seemed a, a natural choice to me, Dan. So we, we were discussing the show, dear listener, and any new listener the other day, we were discussing where, where, where we should go with this particular episode. And Dan said, well, you've got 10 minutes and you can essentially do what you want. So I thought, OK, I've been quite busy this month with work, so I haven't seen a lot of films. A lot of the time I have dedicated in terms of films has been to revisit Mad Max pastures, old and new. But I did notice that the last couple of months in my little list that I keep of what films I've been watching, I had watched... Uh, slightly more Jim Carrey films than one perhaps necessarily needs at this point. It happens to all of us. It does. It seems like we <laughs> perhaps go in like a little binge. You, you, we all end up watching a few too many Jim you, Carrey you, movies. Yeah, you wake up the next day, <laughs> headachey, wondering why you did it. But it's quite nice. It's quite nice to stroll back into Jim Carrey's great years. And they are, were great years. I think sometimes we forget. Sometimes I think Jim Carrey's thrown into the Adam Sandler. Unfairly. Viper tank. And unfairly, because he was wonderful. And I think he still... Whereas can. Adam Sandler's always been... Adam Sandler has produced a couple of couple of funny films back in the day. Like, back in the early 90s with your Happy Gilmore, Big Daddy, The Water Boy, Billy but Madison. But for every Happy Gilmore, but you you've had Jack and Jill. And I was going to say, and because of there's so much sludge that has been excavated from his bowels... 
Uh, Jim Carrey hasn't had that. He has had some duds, and that, that's kind of what I'm going to speak to you about in the next few minutes as well. So Jim Carrey, you should know him. He's he's kind of like our like the the late 20th century, early 21st century's answer to Chaplin in some ways. Mm. Um, very very slapsticky. Perhaps Chaplin via LSD trip or something like that. <laughs> there is a kind of furious energy to him. A lot of drugs in this episode. A lot of drugs. Very drug-filled episode. And sorry, just to say to Jim Carrey's lawyers, there is no, no way are we insinuating that he's ever been... We're just saying that the reference is to drugs. References to drugs. Certainly not, not to implying anyone anyone's had drugs. We don't have any drugs on us at the moment. Absolutely not. We've had a couple of lovely cups of tea. I might have another one of them before yes. the recording <laughs> finishes. I'm drooping. Anyway, so Jim Carrey, uh, there is a kind of lovely euphoric chaplain is about him. And he, you know, he kind of was the world biggest film star around those early 90s as well when he produced things like The Mask he did two ways Ventura films Liar Liar you think about all of these great films that he did and he really was the king of comedy I was looking over all of the things that I know him from and they really are my childhood so in from 1994 onwards he did like Pet Detective and created his own catchphrase like Zeitgeist you know yes yes. then he went on to do The Mask which is one of the first films I can remember rolling around the cinema watching like laughing so much and being genuinely excited and then then escorted out (laughs) yeah escorted out as a a four year old yeah (laughs) I think it was like the first grown and I say grown up in its loosest possible way but it was around the 1994 so it's probably like the first times I'd ever gone into the cinema Mm. and I remember seeing like The Lion King and things like that and I remember my father taking me to see The Mask whilst my younger sister was taken out with like my mother and grandmother it was like a special treat that I went to go and see The Mask with my father. I bet he loved that. <laughs> I'm sure he did, um, if he can even remember it now. I'd love to hear your old man's thoughts <laughs> on, on The Mask. mask. Maybe, maybe we'll do that next season. But yeah, so then there's The Mask, there's Dumb and Dumber, Batman Forever. People remember I'm a huge Batman nut. Of and course, like, he's the Riddler. He's the Riddler yeah. in, in, in that. And so like he, he's got this really eclectic career. And then he even like in like the late 90s, so in those early 90s, you had like the slapstick, slapsticky zeitgeisty kind of stuff that he did which made him this kind of pillar of comedy of american well he's canadian but like you know western comedy and then as the 90s rolls on and on he begins to go into slightly different pastures with things like um the cable guy which was like his first gamble um and i think it was actually his first flop uh, it's only since become a cult reverent mm. film but it certainly didn't do very well at the moment like one always remembers that Simpsons joke where they go into the planet Hollywood and Homer's attacking it and trying to rip it up like you nearly destroyed Jim Carrey's <laughs> career and it nearly did uh, he then obviously did things like Liar Liar and The Truman Show and then finished the 1990s with one of really his best films and it was very critically divided and no one really has watched it and it's one of those films that Jim Carrey is perfect in yet very few people have seen it and that's Man on the Moon mm. the, um, the, the Andy Kaufman biopic yes, yes. so this man has had a very eclectic career I think I, he's really cut from the same cloth as people like Robin Williams in that he can really really make you laugh in very slapstick ways and like kind of jumping around and Jim Carrey can make you laugh with just his the jowls and his cheeks oh yes he's yeah. very very funny um, but he can make you cry in things like Man on the Moon and uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Very good dra- uh, dramatic actor, very good comedic actor. I think Jack Nicholson quite arrogantly once called J- um, Jim Carrey the Jack Nicholson of his generation. <laughs> I don't, I don't know what that means, but I kind oh, of understand oh, it at the same time. <laughs> Jim Carrey's one of those people who is kind of criminal in its own way that he hasn't been more commended for his actual acting skills. I think he should have... He didn't get nominated for either The Truman Show or Man on the Moon, of which he he won Best 
actor at the Golden Globes. He's kind of been subsequently yeah, snubbed. Yeah, and those—I mean, I love the Truman Show. The Truman Show is a wonderful film, and it, it was that film that actually got my, me onto thinking of this because he's he's so deft in it. And and what I love about Jim Carrey is that yeah, he can make you laugh by doing his kind of weird eel being. I don't know, electrocuted yes, kind of yes. zappiness. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, he can kind of just sit very carefully and very gently and break your heart. And that's what The Truman Show does. Hmm. Because he has got this very happy Ned Flandersness about him, whilst the joke is constantly on him. And there's something pitiful about that. Oh, yeah. That Jim Carrey a does. There's a great swell of pity for him. There's a great swell of pity, but Jim Carrey does it without making it saccharine. Like you don't kind of vomit, you, yeah, you haven't yeah, got that yeah. gag. Uh, from it. It, it it's played so well and my plea really from this segment is to go back to that well, where did it go wrong well that's a, a can good you, can that, you pinpoint a film that's a good question because we as i said we we finished the 90s with the truman show and then man on the moon yeah which i think are real high points in this filmography and i know as i said that man on the moon wasn't uh critically trumpeted when it when I think it absolutely should have. And if you haven't seen it, listen, I'll make sure you do. We then um, see him go into uh, Me, Myself and Irene with the Farrelly Brothers, that kind of... Yes. They're very... Well, Farrelly Brothers. Farrelly Brothers <laughs> <laughs> humour, yeah. Perhaps, I don't know, maybe it was his version of The Grinch, which again was something incredibly different. I know that people didn't love that. The Grinch has its moments. It has its moments. But there again, and then he bounces back a little, even when he's got... When the wheels come off a little bit, he came back with uh, Spotless Mind. He did Bruce Almighty. Then he started doing peculiar he things. He did the number 23. That's Joel Schumacher that, that, film. That's what always sticks in my mind. That was it? his first out-and-out yeah. drama thriller role, wasn't it? There yes. was no comedy, yeah, no pathos yeah, to yeah. that. And but then he stopped. <laughs> and then in, uh, as the 2000s finished, he then was in Mr. Popper's Penguins, The Incredible Burt Wonderstone and Kick-Ass 2, most recent film has been Dumb and Dumber 2, which feels like a one-and-a-half-minute Saturday Night Live sketch, which has been dislocated and stretched around a 90-minute film Ugh. 20 years after the first film. And while it has its moments, and it isn't loathsome, it's also completely perfunctory and unnecessary. As sequels often are. Especially late sequels like yes, this. But yeah. one thing I would love, and one thing I would implore, if Jim Carrey's listening... <laughs> Stranger <laughs> Things have I would love to see a reconnaissance uh, with Jim Carrey. I would love Jim Carrey. I don't think his style... A recaryssance, if you will. A, a, a sense, perhaps. Um, uh, well, welcome, man. That kind of thing, I would love to see. In the same way that Matthew McConaughey went from being this kind of factory of dud romantic comedies and just yeah. taking his shirt off. I don't think, if I'm being brutally honest, and it pains me to say this, Dan, I don't think Jim Carrey's style and very particular style of comedy is relevant anymore but i think he's a good enough actor and i think he treads the robin williams line so well between rib shakingly funny and heartbreakingly sad so well that i think he he can forge that niche for himself find himself some good comedy drama products yeah and put his name onto them he's so much better than what was essentially a glorified director dvd sequel that is kick-ass mm. 2 he's so much better than that and now that he's in his 50s he's got that maturity give him a netflix uh, pilot give him a netflix pilot give him something like but give him something that he <laughs> deserves you know this man it He's the Jack Nicholson of his generation, Dan. And I think that more people need to realise that actually Jim Carrey's a wonderful, a wonderful actor. He's got a yeah. great, eclectic, cathedral filmography and he needs to come back in a big way. You heard it here first. Net, net, Netflix Agoris. 
That was that, sorry, dang. That was the jingle. Oh right, <laughs> sorry. Right, yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's the jingle. <laughs> that's thrown you a bit, hasn't it? It did a bit. You, you you acted that quite well. Thanks. Netflix agories. One of our more sort of tortured puns. <laughs> I think. Imagine that. <laughs> Go on. Right, so, so this is what I was surprised we've only done this once. Yeah. It feels like a migraine that won't shift. <laughs> it feels like something we've done so many times, but we've only done it once. We've only so done it the one time. Introduce it then, Dan. Right, so it makes its triumphant return. Triumphant. Yeah. Right now. A lot of triumphant well, returns the last couple of months. Yeah, bear with us. Right. <laughs> um, Netflix Agories. This is where we take a look at Netflix. We both are subscribers to Netflix. Yeah. And, and so should you be. And yeah, you should be as well. And Netflix is great. It's got a, a, a very interesting library of films, but they have a habit of, of categorising them sometimes mm. into strange little subsections and genres yeah. and I thought well the last time we did, if anyone wants to listen it's, it's the Whiplash, Whiplash episode so January's episode uh, yeah so uh, January's podcast where we sort of decided to let's take a look at some of these categories and I'm gonna well we've got three films each haven't we yeah. Uh, each from a different bizarre category yeah. or genre. Well, I think you went for the bizarre and I went for the bland this month, didn't you? Like, my categories are all just, like, science fiction or horror. And it's like, with the films that I've given you, they could they could fit into a lot more bizarre, so eccentric... We're going to give each other the... Th- I mean, mine, once you actually do hear the, the actual categories, they're pretty... They make- Pretty good sense. But we're going to give each other the three films, and the other one has got to guess where they belong in Netflix's wonderful categorization. Okay, I've got the ones that I'm going to give you up here. Some peculiar ones, to say the least. All right. So, shall I give you one, then you give me one, like do an alternate kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, I okay. like that. yeah, like Russian roulette. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay, so we'll start with A Hard Day's Night. This is the Beatles. This is the most famous of the ones I'm going to give you. Yeah, it's I didn't even know this was on Netflix. It, neither did Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> That's the category. <laughs> we didn't know this was here. Things Yoko Ono doesn't know is on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> is it Yoko Ono's personal playlist? It's just musical films. But it's not a musical. Yeah, but... The, well, right. It, it features musicians. <laughs> But it isn't a musical, so it's just musical films. Does, it, does that mean it's lumped in the likes of sort of, I don't know, well, Les Mis is on Netflix. So, so I assume they're, com- they're companion films. <laughs> if you watch Les Mis, why not watch Why not watch Hard Day's Night? Yeah, I like that more. I like the Yoko Ono's playlist <laughs> much more. All right, go on then. Okay, so your first one is Greedy Lion Bastards. It's a uh, documentary. Because you've got one seat in Parliament. <laughs> I like it. Okay. Relevant. Relevant. Satire. <laughs> Satire. No, it's good, it's good. Uh, greedy Line Bastards. I don't even know what this film is. Is it famous? Uh, I don't think so. No. I tried to go for some fairly obscure obscure, obscure ones for you this week, this month. Films no one watches on Netflix. That's <laughs> Can you imagine if that was a category? <laughs> yeah, Netflix's bin. Yeah, you go scroll right down to the bottom, there's a little list of things that no one sees. That no one's ever watched. I think that might be a good idea. Like, no one's ever watched this. Break, break the seal. No they get, one's ever they get the rid of the stuff that no one watches. Yeah. I read once that they had a load of Alfred Hitchcock films on there. Just no one And no one watched them, so they took them off. That's me. Because someone said that someone criticised them. But Greedy Lying Bastards made the cut. <laughs> Who's watching that? Well, I'll tell you. Apart do, from do the bloke who owns the Express. Do you want to know the category? Yeah, go on. Watched by Frank Underwood. 
That kind of makes sense. That's annoying that that's actually quite logical. I mean, I like the fact that they think that because he is a greedy lion bastard, that he would Frank watch Underwood a film. would definitely watch yeah. a film called Greedy Lion Bastard. Then, like, if you saw Frank Underwood's Netflix history, you'd know immediately that he was a bad character. And that's like what we said before in like the last one that like this it's too meta. Yeah. Like I can imagine Frank Underwood having Netflix and just watching House of Cards. Like I just can't believe it. How have they got access to this? They know everything, Claire. <laughs> Just both of them fl- fleeing to Guatemala. <laughs> right. Okay, what's up? What's next? Okay, the next film for you is... <laughs> <laughs> Leprechaun Origins. Jesus Christ. It's got the bland... Leprechaun colon origins. Leprechaun colon origins. I don't know, because you hate films? <laughs> <laughs> um, no. No. <laughs> Do you want it? The shit no one else watches? <laughs> what? <laughs> Greedy lying folklore. No, uh, it's, uh, it was just fantasy, which seems so banal. So banal when you Again, so film. you can find that yeah, under, next to Cinderella. Under Cinderella, yeah. Leprechaun Origins, just fantasy a fantasy film. film. Just banal. Well, I, don't, I, I imagine that category doesn't give the film justice. No. Maybe we a challenge. Leprechaun ball. origins. Leprechaun colon origins. Yeah, starring Is Ronnie Hugh Jackman Corbett. involved. <laughs> Ronnie Corbett. <laughs> <laughs> Go on then. Okay. <laughs> now this is a film I'd never heard of. Okay. Never back down. Uh, Krishnan Guru Murthy, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> the satire this week. I know. I feel like Ian Hislop at the moment. <laughs> never back down. Never back down. Uh, I, I think it's something. The synopsis... Sports films? It's not a sports film. It's about a guy who goes to... He's a new boy at a high school. It doesn't fit in, so decides to join an underground fight club. Okay. So it's a fight, help fight club rip-off, maybe? Well, presumably. I didn't actually watch the thing. Yeah. Maybe that's what one thing that we should do later on, is actually watch some of these crappy films. Um, okay, your last one from me you is... Even, do you want the category? I thought it was fight films. No, it's not. Oh, okay, it's not fight films. I didn't even get no, the category. Even get Sorry, go on. It's just exciting films. <laughs> Dreadful. <laughs> Just awful, exciting films. Exciting film. films is that's, the category. That's crap. Check it out. Check okay, it out. and your last one then is <laughs> Harlock Space Pirate. That's a film begging to be watched, isn't it? Harlock Space Pirate. I know, you, you've been on Netflix so long, you're impotent, so you may as well watch this. <laughs> you've ceased to be able to use your legs. You may what as well Harlock Space watch, Pirate? I think that's a great category. What? You may as well watch this, <laughs> you, you lazy may, bastard. You may, you're here. It was just simply science fiction again. Science fiction, Harlock Space Harlock Pirate. Spa- is that? I mean, I've I don't even heard know what it. that is. Never heard of it. And they took Hitchcock off. And they took Hitchcock off. I bet he's doing the Macarena in his grave. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, if anyone's seen Harlock Space Pirate or Leprechaun Origins, in. email podcast at one room with a view dot com. I'd love to know yeah, more about I'd, it. Uh, right, you've got one more. Yes, you're f- the final one. So <laughs> this is a classic. All right. The Last Airbender. Is this the recent one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One? M. Night Shyamalan's one. Now I am become Shyamalan, destroyer of world cinema. <laughs> <laughs> what what else that? is on that, that, that list? Um, uh, lot, what was the uh, um, After Earth, The Village? I think he's got the, quite a few that the go happening. in there. Yeah. No. I think we should have that. I think Sarandos, or whatever his name is, who runs Netflix, I think he's going to nick this. What was yeah. it, anyway? <laughs> Because you watched Iron Man 3. <laughs> I don't know how they saw it. There he goes, up on the shelf.
Another triumphant return, Dan. Yes. We're bringing them all back today. Yes. So, the shelf up on the shelf already, and for the listeners who aren't familiar with the shelf, mm. this is you and I. If, if you and I, this is how this sort of became a thing. Well, it's, Roger Ebert died is how it became a thing, didn't it? He used to do his great films. Yes, of course. No longer can yeah. do them, so yeah. we've kind of nicked it, <laughs> if we're being brutally honest. May he rest in peace. Yeah, may you, may you bless this podcast. But also, we discussed, if, 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 if we were living together... And we're, and not, we're, and we're not, for the record... If we had a shelf of DVDs, these are the films that would be on our DVD shelf. And, and I suppose in a larger, uh, larger context, it's the kind of, these are ones that, from our point of view, should be on every film lover's shelf, aren't they? These are the greatest films yes. produced. Um, and they're, yeah, they're up there for a number of reasons. So Mainly personal. So if you almost know, if you, exclusively If personal. you disagree... Sodja. Yeah, we don't So we don't we've got you. Godfather Part 2, then you put Jurassic Park up, then yeah. I put American Beauty up, and now... Now... Dun, 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 the Long Good Friday. Excellent. Great choice. And I didn't know about this beforehand. We've very briefly spoken about this before on the old radio show days. But yes. through no. the conduit that is your father. <laughs> yes. That's very long, long Good Friday from, from 1980, yeah. starring the late, great Bob Hoskins. Um, has, has, yeah, has been mentioned before. It's, How's it's, it been there for nearly a year? I can't believe it. That, wow. That is, that is sad to think of. Tragic. Um, so The Long Good Friday uh, came out in 1980. It's... It's essentially a day in the life of Harold Shand, mm. played by Bob Hoskins, who is this sort of kingpin of the uh, the sort of London gangster scene. Yeah, like the Ray Winston of the 1980s. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I suppose, yeah, yeah. but better. And He out-Ray Winstone's Ray Winstone in this film, <laughs> peculiarly. Someone's, uh, someone's sort of, he's having a bad day. <laughs> True. Um, what day is it? it, it <laughs> I know it's a Friday. <laughs> So yeah, he's about to make... He's the Jesus Christ of the East End in that way. <laughs> well, we're going to hell. <laughs> Sorry, Roger. <laughs> Sorry. Long Good Friday. Introduced to me by my dad a few years ago. Mm. Uh, it's in his top ten favourite films ever. And, and you, you, you're of the opinion that my dad is essentially Bob Hoskins. I've never seen them in the same room together and never will now, so <laughs> I can only assume that it was some kind of... <laughs> Bob tax. Hoskins was a character that my dad retired. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think that your dad is, you know when gangsters go to Tenerife, in inverted commas, <laughs> I think that's what John Alton is to Bob Hoskins. John Alton is Bob Hoskins' Tenerife. <laughs> anyway, Harold is trying to uh, broker some sort of deal with... Um, uh, the Americans, I think. Except then bombs keep coming, p- uh, appearing. In it's the IRA, isn't yes, it? Yes, and he's being pursued by a young Piers Brosnan, very young Piers yeah. Brosnan. Um, Almost a schoolboy Piers Brosnan. <laughs> yeah, it's kind a of baby Piers Brosnan. Uncanny. Yeah. yeah, so he's trying. He's essentially trying to put out all these fires, so to speak. The IRA are after him. He's trying to get this deal sorted. And it, it all basically goes from bad to worse. He should never have gone out of bed. But the film is carried by Hoskins' performance. It's sort of tour de force. Uh, of of a character, yeah, he's terrifying and he's funny and he's warm all at different times. Or, yeah. He's the other version of a quintessential Brit, isn't he? In this film, because you always think of like your Hugh Grant floppy hair types or your bulldog Bob Hoskins <laughs> types, and he yes. he is the best Bob Hoskins in it, if that makes sense. Yeah, he probably this is probably where that originated in the Long Good Friday. Mm. I mean, just one a wonderful script. And a ballsy film. A very ballsy film. You know, for the time, I mean, 1980, Thatcher had just come to power. Yeah. It was a very different Britain from a few years before, and it really captures... It gets into the dirt. Um, ...what that was all about, and, and that sort of, that life, that kind of, what it was like in that part of London. You know, Bob Hoskins is, I think, just trying to make 
you know, he's trying to get by. He's trying to keep on top of things, mm. as any gangster is once they've got to the top. And 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 unfortunately, on this fateful day, he keeps sliding out from underneath. Yes, he, things are slipping away from him, like you know, sand through his fingers. I watched not it. helped by his uh, his wife, played by Helen Mirren. Yeah, or indeed his rather useless group of yokels. It's <laughs> <laughs> rather useless group of uh, inferiors. Yeah, I um, I watched it. From when Dan and I used to do this as a radio show, as we were finishing the radio show, we invited him on for his birthday, didn't we? Yes. And it was in his top ten. And I watched it the next day, purely on recommendation from Dan's father. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it feels so much further down the road than its time. Like, it's very violent. Crucial. Oh, yeah, it's violent so, so, in some so, so, so ways. As well. It's very bloody. Very bloody film. The ending is, is a left-field punch as well. Certainly not that, something that you expect. The ending of that film, for me, is perhaps possibly in the top ten... Endings. Unexpected, or just endings really, yeah. of any films. You know, it's a good two minutes of. I don't want to give it away. No, I was going to say we're kind of. The, the, but, I tell you what, it reminds me of as well, and, and this will only really appeal to you and the people who have listened to it. But but Hoskins is able to do with that kind of cabbagey face of his. Yeah. He's able to twist it in a way that I've only ever seen subsequently. Well, I actually saw this film before, but if it makes sense, um, with Jack Nicholson in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. You know, in the uh, the dying embers of that film, yes. where Jack Nicholson yeah, yeah, is able yeah. to illustrate all of these this this smorgasbord of emotions in just his face for a minute, Hoskins might yeah. even outdo him. <laughs> he might well be the Jack Nicholson <laughs> of London gangster films. <laughs> Apparently, Jack Nicholson once said that. Yeah. Are you not reminded a little of of the actual of of Wilson Fisk? Absolutely. And I you know what? Because what I should say, because of course, uh, Harold is trying uh, to. Uh, Rejuvenate London's Docklands. It was as you said that when you when you said a minute, a minute ago, yeah. it's like it's Daredevil's kingpin. Yeah. yeah, I just realised Daredevil ripped off on Good Friday. <laughs> yes, and he, he, what he's doing, he sees as is, is crucial righteous. And, and righteous and good for the land, his manor, yeah. <laughs> and this yeah. land he loves, this, this England that he he waxes lyrical about throughout the film. No, I, I, I really, I mean, just top of the pile for London. You, there's a lot of dross that's come out in recent years about London gangster, London gangster films. Well, they're all, they're it's a, all it's a very Danny un- Dyer vehicles. Yeah, and the genre has become diluted by these Danny Dyer sort of I think crap vehicles. Guy Ritchie was both the best and worst thing that ever happened to it, didn't he? But mm. this is this feels like your dad's gangster film in more than one way. <laughs> well, yes, in many ways. In, I mean, it quite literally is your dad's gangster film. But yeah. if you know what I'm saying, like, you know when... Our fathers are constantly looking at our generation like you never had it, you know, yeah, you never yeah, had it yeah. like us. But this feels like something your dad would yeah. sit down with, you know, he and, chews and it up and this spits is, it back out. The Long Good Friday is the pinnacle of gangster films, English gangster films, and indeed is very high up there with crime films of, in general, crime films and, and British cinema. That and that's why it's on the show. Housekeeping. We don't actually have a jingle for that, Dan. Nope, never have, and we don't. Really we never will. We never will. don't want to. It's been a great show. I'm glad no, it, we pulled it off. It's been a lot of energy. The drugs have helped. The, the drugs <laughs> again. Jim Carrey's lawyer. We've settled that. We've settled that. <laughs> and may Roger Ebert and um, Bob Hoskins forever dwell in Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> we were very animated about Mad Max Fury Road, and I yeah. think that if if the listeners want any more indication outside of our words about what we thought about the film I think the way we spoke about it I mean I, I think I'm still on a bit of a high mm. from seeing it yeah and I, just from ingesting just, it it's, it's still excited go and read um, Tom Bond's suitably gushing review on OneRoomWithTheView.com yes so we're very much on the same page he absolutely he kind of boils what Dan and I have uh, like the cloud of myself and Dan's enthusiasm into a hundred word capsule um, that you can kind of cut up and snort at will <laughs> to extend that metaphor there's a lot going on at OneRoomWithTheView.com far too much for us to squeeze into this 
minute housekeeping section. So all that's left to say really is make sure that you go to www.oneroomwithaview.com. It is our father and mother website. Yes. And it's what allows um, us to do this on a monthly basis. We're there on the homepage, if you're a little, little to the, the, the right and sort of down the side. All the podcast episodes are there. Uh, you can dip in at your at your leisure, really. And, and if you're listening to us on iTunes, and um, but you want to listen to us kind of in the background on a desktop, we're now on SoundCloud. It's the AllWav show on SoundCloud. Alternatively, if you're on a desktop, but you want to listen to us on an MP3 player, you can download us from iTunes. It's the one room of the we, show. We are everywhere. We're everywhere. We're like um, viral. We're a virus now. <laughs> um, contact us. Absolutely contact us at podcast at oneroomwithaview.com. Uh, tweet us at oneroomwithaview on Twitter. That's a numerical one. Yes. Dan is at Mr. Alton, M-I-S-T-E-R. I'm at the Preston Knight. And then like us on Facebook as well. That's one room with a view. That's it. Um, so next month, we have our first of two concluding summer yes, podcasts. Yes, we've got two more episodes and then we're off on our summer holidays. And the last two, as tradition dictates now, will be two specials. So stick around. Uh, check on the, I think we'll probably announce it over Twitter. Yes. So have a little look on there. Other than that, we'll see you next month. Cheerio. You're listening to The One Room with a View Show with Christopher Preston and Dan Orton.